We're starting a, a new s- series here this morning. Um, not sure exactly how long it's going to go for, but we're call, uh, calling this Unmasking Religion. Uh, now, uh, before we get into this, I need to tell you what this is not a series about before I would tell you what this is a series about. Um, it is popular in our world, and even within the re- religious world itself, to demean the word religion. Uh, it becomes a dirty word. Uh, and you will hear people say, well, uh, I don't believe in organized religion. I always ask them if they believe in disorganized religion, but that's not the point. Um, I, I hear another one, uh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. You ever heard that one? See, and so, so the word religion gets this, this kind of negative connotation. And, am I, am I off? Okay. Alright, so. Um, you'll, you'll hear, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual. Religion and spirituality are really two sides of the same coin. Uh, what religion is, uh, or is intended to be by God, you'll notice, first of all, in the Bible, there's no stigma attached to the word religion. Uh, the, we read in James, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, uh, to keep oneself unspotted from the world and help the widows and the orphans and their poor, right? The word religion is a fine word, and it denotes the activity of a Christian, the practice of one's faith. Spirituality is not the practice of one's faith. Spirituality is the, the inner motives, the, the things inside uh, that, uh, that motivate us to do the religious things. So, um, a, um, a faith that only has spirituality is half a religion, right? or half of a faith. A, a, a faith that only has religion but without spirituality is half, half of a faith. It's half a Christianity. And so, I don't want you to think that I'm the premise of this is to demean. When I say unmasking religion, we're not yanking the mask off of some sort of imposter or something like that. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. The premise of this series has to do with how over the course of time, for one reason or another, the faith that God has given has become obscured by something. Now, in some cases, it has been because of cultural advances um, that impede and intrude on original faith. In 1907, a Japanese man living in San Francisco started selling out of a little shop a famous Japanese treat. It's a little rice cookie. And it's not known if he started it. It's believed that this dates back to Japanese times. Uh, he started putting little messages in his Japanese cookies, little rice, sweet rice cookies. Um, and of course, you can't go into a Chinese restaurant, right? You go and sit in a Chinese restaurant, and you have the expectation that you will, even if you don't like them, right? You think, what kind of Chinese restaurant doesn't serve a fortune cookie at the end? But the funny thing is, is what we've done is we've said, here, China, here is your tradition. 
And it's Japanese. It's not even Chinese. In fact, uh, the, the story goes, and I'm not, again, this is, this is over a hundred years ago. Uh, the Japanese, uh, the story is that they hid m- messages in the, in their, um, in their cookies that were, uh, communications between generals because they knew that the Mongolians wouldn't eat them. Think about that. Uh, Mongolians are more related to, to Chinese people, not exactly Chinese, but, but here's, a, so here's a group of people that culturally didn't like this, specifically didn't like this treat, and they are now forced to serve these in their restaurants because we, Americans, have this expectation. Right? And so over time, there's, there's these cultural advances on, on a society, and this happens within the church where, where a society says, hey, this is your tradition, deal with it. Right? And this is what we expect you to say. This is your new thing. So just get over it and accept it, because this is what we want to hear from your pulpits. Sometimes, however, the truth has been masked not from a malicious cause, but by what we're going to deal with, at least to to a certain degree, um, a legitimate cause, where we misunderstand passages, where we... uh, we deal sometimes, and, and scriptures sometimes are very difficult to understand. And, and we might have a passage here which, which kind of seems to contradict the passage over here. And, and we struggle to reconcile this because we begin from the assumption that this whole thing works together and it's, it's one thing. We, we're supposed to, I think, work from that assumption. And so we try to figure out how this works together. And one of what we end up doing sometimes is we, if we place the emphasis on the wrong one, or we, we can obscure the intended message. And so we're going to begin, and we're going to take little, each week we're going to kind of take some of the things that seem to be opposites within, within Christianity and, and see how maybe, and maybe this is not you, or maybe this is uh, something you've heard or other people say, but things that have become a little obscure, and we're, we're not sure exactly how it works in the first of these, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17 and 18. <clears throat> he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle. These are, jot or tittle were the smallest of Hebrew letters. They required the least strokes. In fact, I believe some of them weren't even letters. They were pronunciation marks, if I correctly remember that. But either way, he says, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. I want to talk this morning, and it is actually going to be connected to next week uh, because this is kind of a large topic. So we're going to kind of divide this up into two uh, separate uh, path, uh, 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 sermons and two separate topics. But the concept of grace and the law. Because there is, in the reading of this passage, a kind of a, a confusion, I think, that exists when we read it very quickly. 
And what ends up happening because of this is that we end up with a hybrid kind of a covenant. Um, and what we quickly read this, and it, one of the thoughts that quickly comes out is, see, the law is, we know that the, even in Romans, the Bible says that the law was perfect. We're going to reference that in a second. But that the law didn't exactly go out of existence. See, it's until the end of the world. That's what it says. It says, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law. Right? Uh, until heaven and earth pass away. And what I want to do is, is look at, we're going to come back to this. Uh, so I'm holding my place here. Um, and I want to quickly turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Now in Matthew, there's some... Uh, complexity. There's some working parts that we need to, to look at. But this, this doesn't really have that many working parts. This is a pretty straightforward passage. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Of course not. And so this is a pretty straightforward passage. So when we have these opposite passages, that one seems to say that, the law is still in effect until heaven and earth. And then Paul says, wait a minute, no, we're not under law anymore. These seem to be contradictory. But yet I, I begin with this assumption that they all work together. How in the world can these two passages kind of come together to mean one thing? Romans, so I'm going to start from Romans. And I'm going to tell you that, that that's an unambiguous statement. There, there's no... There's no way you can misunderstand that one. We are not under law, but under grace. And he stated it twice. So then we're going to have to head back. And I want to talk about the law. I want to talk about the reality of Matthew chapter 5. First of all, we need to understand that Paul is looking backwards from the point of the new covenant. And Jesus is looking forward. Jesus is looking forward and he's still under the old law. I know that sounds kind of confusing because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are books in your New Testament. But we need to understand that he's living under the Old Testament and, and these four books are about the coming of the New Testament. That's why they belong there. Jesus made a statement and we, that is really interesting. And it's interesting from the standpoint, as we look at the law, the law is a legal Document. So we're going to look at some legal words here because this statement fits into this as a legal statement. I'm going to reference some Latin. I don't like Latin. I hate Latin. Um, so I'm only going to introduce it and then we're going to try to use the English as much as we can. But there are some legal phrases that apply to this and will help us understand and dissect this statement that Jesus made because it's a very legal statement that he says. Um, and this would apply to most legal documents. You can call them covenants, legal arrangements. It applies to warranties, uh, any type of that uh, thing like that. And so we look at two uh, two phrases. One is called a terminus ad quo. A terminus ad quo is, it, is a word that means the limit from which or before which. And so in, in, in a legal statement, right, you have, you have these limits. 
And this is the terminus ad quo. You have a, then another one is called the terminus ad quem. This is the point after which. And so, so what these two statements do is, it, it says, uh, after this point, after this limit, the last one, terminus ad quem, after this point, this is no valid. This is not valid. It can't possibly be valid. A warranty has this. Right? It's a time limit. If you have a, a, a three-year warranty on something, that's the terminus ad quem. That means after that point, there's nothing. This can't be valid after this. Unless you, you know, you have a car and you have an extended warranty. Right? You get, I get those calls like every day. Uh, you, I suppose there's something you could do to extend that. But that's that last point, and that is a fixed point. And that is always a time. That's in, in any contract, that will always be a fixed point in time. But then there's this other one that's actually a movable point in time, and that is based on a condition. If you meet the condition prior to that, then that ends it. If you have a warranty, uh, and uh, there's a condition... You know, that says uh, if, if something happens to it, you have a computer, you're not supposed to open it up. You open it up, it's voided, right? You have voided your warranty. That's that movable point. Once you do that, it doesn't make a difference about that last point. That last point is gone. You've, you've moved that other one up. In a contract, it would be if you fulfill the work. After you fulfill the work or whatever, that point, it's invalid at that point. You, you know, they can't come back and, and, and attach more things. It's fulfilled. And this is the condition statement. Now, let's, with that information, let's go back into and look at what Jesus says. Because he says, until heaven and earth pass away, terminus ad quem, the point after which. This law is in effect until all is fulfilled, that movable point. Right? That's the movable point at which that can be invalidated. And then what does Jesus say? I have not come to destroy. I have not come to breach the contract, but I've come to fulfill it. Christ said, I am the terminus ad quo. I am the fulfillment of this law, this covenant. And so Paul and Jesus agree perfectly. Jesus is looking forward to the point in time where he will fulfill all things. And Paul looks backwards from Romans and he says, it's already been fulfilled, see? And they're both looking at the same point in time. And so you and I are not under the law. We are under grace. So we're going to look at some concepts of law, and then we're going to go through and look at some concepts of grace. No more Latin. The concept of law. I want to look at Colossians chapter 2. The book of Colossians chapter 2. And verse 11, beginning, and we're going to go through verse 14. He says, In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He's made alive together with them, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it 
to the cross. Well, the first concept of the law is that it is a series of commands. Now, those who still love that law, and there, you'll find within Christianity there are some groups that like the law. It is a strange thing. Why would you want to have that system? And so they'll say, see what it says is that he removed our, the list of trespasses that was against us. Yes, he did that. But this lists two things that he removed. He not only removed the, the guilty sentence, but he actually removed the legal requirement itself. See, he says he removed the system of decrees that was against us. The actual law itself he removed. Not because it was a bad thing. The law is a good thing. Paul states in Romans, I wouldn't have known not to covet unless it was written in the law. It was, the law was good in what it does. And what is it? Well, if we stay in the same chapter, Colossians chapter 2, it's not just a series of commands, but there are particular types of commands. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Therefore, if you died, from, died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though you are living in the world, do you still subject yourselves to regulations? Do not taste. Do not touch, do not handle, which all concern things which perish after it's used, according to the commandments of doctrines of men. These things have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Law is prohibition. Now, there are laws that are you have to do this, right? Those are what we would call positive laws. A prohibition is a negative law. But you'll find that almost all law, in some way or other, is a negative law, is a prohibition. Even some positively stated laws are actually negative. If I tell you you have to do something a certain way, that's stated positively, but that's what that's saying is you can't do it any other way, right? So, so uh, I'm looking at my building codes, and I was doing some construction, and we're trying to figure out what to do with my deck and everything else uh, a few years ago. And, and there's laws that state that that the about the project and and your border next to your you know your your neighbor's property, and it has to do with the 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 space that has to be preserved between the two, and it's stated positively as seven feet. That means is. I can't build something within five feet and say, hey, you didn't say I couldn't build within five feet. Right? You didn't tell me everything I couldn't do. No, it's stated positively. Right? In, in, in the law, it said uh, Moses is giving the directions on, on building everything, and he states, uh, Jesus, or God states through Moses, he says, make sure you do everything according to the pattern I gave you. What does that mean? It means don't do it any other way. <laughs> you don't get to make up your own kind of incense. God didn't go through every wrong kind of incense that he could have possibly made. Or, or he didn't go through every possible wrong type of thing that could have been used for this or that. Because there would have been an endless list. He said, this is the way I want it. Do it. It's a prohibition. That is what command is. And this is, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. And, and we are we're prone to like prohibitions. We love prohibitions. 
But that is, he says in the end, it's, it's, that concept is incapable. Romans chapter 8 tells us why it's incapable as a system. It's not a bad system. It's just incapable. It identifies things. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore, verse 1 beginning, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the law, but according to the flesh. Or, excuse me, according, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, because it's weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh because of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The law is inferior. It's not bad, but it's inferior. I want you to notice that the law, we sometimes think about the law as though it was just a bunch of random stuff. Don't do this. Don't do that. And every once in a while we go, okay, that one makes sense. But he says, really, the law had a righteous requirement. The law wasn't bad in that. The, the law was designed to try to give us a, a, a spiritual goal. It had a righteous requirement. It was just incapable of achieving it. My grandfather used to tell me, you always hear that ignorance of the law is no excuse. He said, that's ridiculous. I work a job. And we have people on multiple levels who sit around all day and their job is to make laws. I can't possibly know everyone that they've ever given me. Of course ignorance is a good excuse. Eh? This is so many laws. And whenever something happens, we think, oh, make a law. Something, someone bad did something. Make a law. Well, they did something bad. And often they knew the law that they were breaking when they did it. You think a law is going to affect that? You think a new law is going to make them be good? He says the law is weak. And here's the, the problem. He says the law was weak because of the flesh. This is important. The law wasn't weak in and of itself. God didn't go, oh man, I really made a bad law. I really didn't understand what I was doing. The law wasn't weak because of itself. The law was weak because of me. I am the weak link in the law. Because when I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And a law isn't going to prevent me. So God had to come up with a system that doesn't address trying to force me to do the right thing. He came up with a law that tries, or a system that tries to make me want to do the right thing. See, he changed the complete nature. And that's what we're going to get to in a second is grace. Paul defines the flesh. The flesh doesn't simply mean the body. He says those who are in the flesh, they're, they're the people that set their minds on the things of the flesh. They're people who use natural human logic. 
I want to do this, why? Because there's a physical advantage. I will gain something. I will gain something material or something that, that appeals to me as a natural human being. That kind of logic is the flesh. That's what he's defining here. And so that's what God is going to address through a system of grace, which is what we are under. I want to look at some concepts of grace. We've talked about grace before. It's a gift, right? And so we're going to look at a gift. Think of it that way. Because that's all the word means. What is a gift when you think of a gift? First of all, it's undeserved. That's, that's the first thing. And, and we think of that. When we think of grace, that's the first thing that probably pops into our mind. I don't deserve it. It's grace. You have a birthday. Why do you get a present? Because you exist. I'm here. And I've been here for eight years. And so I get a, a, bit, a, a birthday present. I, I did nothing. I had absolutely nothing to do with that. And they celebrate it. We celebrate it because I, I have human existence. It's undeserved. Colossians chapter... I want you to notice we're going to go back through all of the scriptures we've just read to talk about the law. And we're going to talk about grace. Because those aren't really scriptures about the law. They're scriptures about grace. So we're just going to kind of backtrack through those in, in maybe a different order. Colossians chapter 2. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. And let's look at verse 13 and 14 again. He says, you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, you made alive together with him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses, wiping out the handwriting of requirements that was against us and contrary to us and taking it out of the way. This is the gift. It's undeserved. He says, while you were still dead in your trespasses, while, while we were still undeserving, simply because of our human existence and God loves us, he gave us this incredible gift. I did nothing to deserve it. I wasn't even born yet. Forget a, a birthday present because I was born. He gave me a gift before I was born. That is grace. We ask a question all the time. You've probably heard this question and, and, and maybe the, the longer you've been in the church, you might even know the answers to this question. Why did Jesus have to die? You've heard that question? And you know the answers pretty well. And these answers are full of true statements. I want you to know this. The answers that you were probably taught to answer this question are full of true statements, and yet they, are, they reach a wrong conclusion. You might say, well, because sin equals death. Romans 3.23, the, the wages of sin is death. There had to be some sacrifice. And, and in the Old Testament, Hebrews tells us that in the Old Testament, that the blood of goats and, and bulls and all that stuff, that, that, was, that was inadequate. It was not capable of, of forgiving sin. So God needed a, a pure sacrifice, but a, a moral sacrifice, something equal or greater to my humanity. And so God took my place. And those are all correct answers to a different question. Those are good answers, but they answer a different question. Those do not answer the question, why did God have to die? Or Christ, why did Christ have to die? They answer the question, why did Christ die? 
But that question, why did Christ have to die, assumes that Christ had to die. And that is an incorrect assumption. Christ did not have to die. Christ chose to die. That's why it's a gift. If Christ had to die, it's not a gift. Christ chose to die. Christ could have come here and said, you know what, change my mind. Just get out of jail free. You're all good. I'm going back to heaven. I'm really not interested in tomorrow's events. And, uh, and so you're all good. He could have done that. There is no requirement that God is forced to stick to a certain plan. He's God. He can do what He wants. He could have said, yeah, I know what I said. You're all going to hell. He could have said that too. You're not worth my time. You're all sinners. He could have said that. But He gave us a gift. He chose it. That makes it more valuable, not less valuable. A gift is not merely undeserved, it's thoughtful. The seasons are turning, as everybody has noted this morning. And so now our mind turns to winter. Because we'll have fall for about a week. And as we think of winter, we think of Christmas, right? This is not a Christmas sermon. And we will think about that time, that wonderful time where we sit around and open each other's gift cards. Oh, where'd you get a gift card to? I go to Starbucks. And oh, wait, wait, I got a gift card to Menards, right? And we just open each other's gift cards. Christmas shopping was a little bit different when I was a kid. My whole things have changed. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We already read it, and I want to look at this again through the concept of grace, not through the concept of law. Look at it as a gift. He says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not think to, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by any means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And I want you to look at that word all. Christ came to fulfill. We've already mentioned that. But he didn't come to fulfill one moment. We, we, we sit here, we remembered the death and resurrection of Christ. And, and that is the most important thing that he came to do. But we need to remember that, that Christ came and put thought into his gift. He didn't just come for a cameo appearance for one weekend and then get back. It wasn't just, here's your gift card. He came and he spent a life fulfilling Perfection, fulfilling the law, making sure that he perfectly achieved and accomplished all the requirements of it, not just one prophecy. He was thoughtful. He fulfilled all. A gift is finally unexpected. Do you remember life before Amazon? 
Now, the thrill of Christmas shopping, this is the thrill of Christmas shopping. The thrill of Christmas shopping is click, 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 I'm done. <sighs> done. That's the thrill of Christmas. Everybody knows what they're getting. I got the list. I accomplished the list. And I'm done. Come the 25th, everybody knows what's under the tree. There's no anticipation. There's no excitement. Because it is completely different. Something's changed. There used to be investment and thought. Uh, My birthday uh, this year, my daughter made me a table. She didn't say, what do you need? And I needed a table, and she made a table. She thought of it. She then made it. They were going to glue it together. I didn't know what it was. Um, They were trying to ask vague questions, so I actually never did figure it out. They were asking the type of questions I could figure out it was going to be something made of wood. So I suggested that they use uh, my uh, brad nailer. I suggested this with my daughter. She made it. I I then thought it might be good for me to show how to use the Brad Nailer. Now, I was like assembling my own present. They had cut out the pieces or whatever. So I didn't know what it was still because I just did enough pieces so that they knew how to put it together without maiming themselves. Right? So I got it. Now, I had no idea what it was, but that has so much more value to me as something that was invested than if they would have gone on Amazon, click, 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 here's a table. Right? It would have looked nicer probably, though I think it looks pretty cool. Right? It would have looked finished and glossy and everything else. But, but I understand the investment, and not just the investment, but the thought that went into it. We've talked about those things. So I didn't expect it. I remember Christmas shopping and going out and actually going and thinking and putting to, writing my own list. I'm going to get this and this and this for, for mom or for, for my brother. Whatever. I remember the thought that went into it. When gifts are thoughtful, they can't be predicted. I want you to go back. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 8. And I want you to look at this gift. As I say, they're all really about grace and not about law. Romans chapter 8. In verse 3 and 4. This is what the law couldn't do because it was weak because of the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He gave something for us to do. Do you notice that? We get to do some fulfilling ourselves. Who could imagine this gift? Who could imagine Christ coming and and spending his time here? Who would have thought of that gift? A perfect creator dying for his creation. 
Who could have imagined that? He predicted it. Christ came and he started assembling some of the pieces and they still didn't get what he was doing. <laughs> Is it now you're restoring the kingdom? <laughs> they still didn't get it. He's, like, he's like assembling it right in front of their eyes and they're still not getting it. And he leaves us with this grace which involves our end of the deal. And that's really what we're going to get into next week. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful flesh. I've heard that stated. He, did, he wasn't sinful flesh. But he came in the same image. He came with the same weaknesses. He came with the same problems. And he lived here. You ever get the idea, you know, who Christ is? You kind of have a character map of him in your brain when you think about Christ. Do you know why that is? It's because he spent time here. If all he would have been was a gift card, we would have no idea, we would have no more idea of Christ than we do of the Father, really. The Father's kind of vague. The Holy Spirit's kind of vague because they didn't live here like me. But I see Christ. That's what the Bible says. He was the image of, of the Father for me. He, he portrayed the Father to me. And so I kind of get an idea of who God is because I, I read the scriptures and I see him. Oh, I see the frustration, right? I see the frustration with the disciples. Wow, he had frustration. I, I see the fear of death in the garden. I, I see all these things because he came here and lived with a weak body and with human tendencies. And yet he was perfect. That's the difference. I do that because he gave me a thoughtful and unexpected gift. And this is grace. We're going to conclude with two encouragements. I always give some encouragements. I, I, I hesitate for one of them. This is optional. I don't like to use sermons to lower the standard of things. These, is, these are moments that you give from your week to listen. To. That's humbling. I want to encourage you to do something this year because I think it's, it can be connected. I, I try to encourage people to do something with their lives that, that connects to something spiritual, even if it's not directly spiritual. I encourage you, you don't have to do this. I'm not going to check up on you. Skip Amazon this year. Seriously. Go back and shop with each other. Spend time as a family together. Make something for somebody. Do something that they don't know is coming. Here's why. Not for Christmas' sake. Because I want you to look at the eyes of somebody who gets something you've invested in them. And I want you to think and relate that to how Christ looks at you when you appreciate this gift. I, I want you to connect those two things and understand that that same feeling you get, uh, the, the feeling of investment that you have in that person, that's the feeling of investment of God in you. It's that grace. It's a gift. And when you receive something that you didn't expect and you're excited because of what someone's spent time with, let that kind of further your appreciation of grace that God gives for you. That's optional. If you go on Amazon, I don't care. 
But this isn't. This is not optional. Colossians chapter 2. We've already read it once. And verse 20 and 21. He says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though you are living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. It all appears wise, but it has no spiritual value. Do not succumb to that old law. So this year, skip the law. Skip the law. Stop. I'm not saying there are no prohibitions in the New Testament, but it's not founded on those. And it's certainly not founded in the, the things we create. Prohibitions that we make for other people, or for ourselves even. Don't try to squeeze the Old Testament into the New Testament. God says that ain't going to work too good. The New Testament is not just another list of prohibitions. We as people have that tendency to look at virtue and, and, and spirituality as the list of things I don't do. And the more things I don't do, the better I am. That's just our tendency. I don't do that. That person does that. I don't do that. That's just, just a human tendency. Skip the law. The Bible says that we do live under a law. It's called the law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. Where God assumes that we are free to do something unless he directly does prohibit it. But it's a different structure. Those are the exceptions to the rule. It's a law of liberty, so skip Skip that law. Skip that old covenant. You can't squeeze it into this covenant. They work on different principles. I want you to go out in grace and, and go out in freedom. You ever been nervous about freedom? You ever nervous? Right? First time you got your own place? Kind of nervous? You go off to college or whatever the thing is. You're kind of nervous with some freedom. Because it's responsibility. That's what we live under. And it won't be achieved by saying, you can't do this and you can't do that. You can't do this and you can't do that. So live in grace.